Hello, and welcome to the Boring Bible Podcast. I'm Noah Randolph. And I'm Ashley Wakefield. And we're here to take you on a journey through the boring parts of your Bible, books that you just couldn't finish when you tried to read them. Together, I hope we'll get to see some of the hidden beauty in these books, and maybe afterwards you'll love them too. But if not, that's okay. You will still get to tell your friends you got through them and have full bragging rights to your pastor. Just don't let it go to your head. So let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of the Boring Bible Podcast. I'm Noah Randolph, teaching pastor here at Wayfarers Christian Church, and I've got with me in the studio, Ashley Wakefield. Hi. Hey, Ashley. We are back in the book of Isaiah, going through chapter 65 today. I was telling Ashley off air before we started this podcast, this is a really funny uh, title for this whole chapter. It just says, Judgment and Salvation. Very, very straight and to the point and kind of bland and uh, generic, <laughs> which is very uh, not what this chapter is. This chapter is really beautiful in its poetry, and uh, yeah, we definitely have a section that's full of judgment in it, and we definitely have a section that's full of salvation. Um, but there's going to be some fun things to talk about in this chapter. I'm looking forward to it, and uh, yeah, we're going to uh, kind of work through this. I'm going to take more of a 3,000 view kind of um, survey of this chapter, because a lot of these things, uh, these, um, judgments in particular have kind of been um, repeated um, in other chapters up to this point. So um, yeah, we'll definitely uh, kind of breeze through this. At least I hope so. Um, there'll be a few things to mention too. Um, there's a couple of uh, um, names of like some valleys that we'll touch on that I'm really excited to talk about. And uh, even a couple of deities that uh, get mentioned um, as well, just for some historical context. That'll be fun to talk about as well. So I'm excited. Uh, what do you think about this chapter when you read it, Ashley? Um, it was a really interesting chapter. There were a lot of things that I feel like I need to study and go over. Mm. Um, and I was trying to do that before I got in the podcast. So hopefully I have like enough information to say something, <laughs> to say something. <laughs> but it's, it's a really interesting chapter. I feel like it's chock full of things that you could really talk about. You could always just go for the like, you know, speak words and apologize later. Right. <laughs> Like, I want to retract that statement. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, sometimes I put uh, like little uh, retractions in the show notes too. If I'm like, oh, I said that wrong, that was completely off. So if you guys read the show notes, sometimes you might see. Um, I think there was one in Isaiah two. I can't remember what I said, but uh, I had to retract something I said in Isaiah two. So yeah, you can go read the show notes and see whatever it was in there. But yeah, there we go. Uh, let's go ahead and dive into this chapter. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here am I, here am I. All day long I have held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations, a people who continually provoke me to my very face, offering sacrifices in gardens and burning incense on altars of brick, who sit among the graves and spend their nights keeping secret vigil, who eat the flesh of pigs, and whose pots hold broth of impure meat, who say, keep away, don't come near me, for I am too sacred for you. Such people are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that keeps burning all day. See, it stands written before me. I will not keep silent, but will pay back in full. I will pay it back into their laps, both your sins and the sins of your ancestors, says the Lord, because they burned sacrifices on the mountains and defied me on the hills 
I will measure into their laps the full payment for their former deeds. This is what the Lord says. As when juice is still found in a cluster of grapes, and people say, don't destroy it, there is still a blessing in it. So will I do in behalf of my servants. I will not destroy them all. I will bring forth descendants from Jacob and from Judah, those who will possess my mountains. My chosen people will inherit them. And there will my servants live. Sharon will become a pasture for flocks and the valley of a core, a resting place of herds for my people who seek me. But as for you who forsake the Lord and forget my holy mountain, who spread a table for fortune and fill bowls of mixed wine for destiny, I will destine you for the sword and all of you will fall in the slaughter. For I called, but you did not answer. I spoke, but you did not listen. You did evil in my sight and chose what displeases me. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My servants will eat, but you will go hungry. My servants will drink, but you will go thirsty. My servants will rejoice, but you will be put to shame. My servants will sing out of the joy of their hearts, but you will cry out from anguish of heart and wail in brokenness of spirit. You will leave your name for my chosen ones to use in their curses. The sovereign Lord will put you to death, but to his servants he will give another name. Whoever invokes a blessing in the land will do so by the one true God. Whoever takes an oath in the land will swear by the one true God. For the past troubles will be forgotten and hidden from my eyes. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered a curse. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them, or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. And dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountains, says the Lord. All right, so uh, this chapter opens up with um, the perspective of God again. Um, we're really just in his perspective for most of this chapter. Um, last week, if you guys remember, we were kind of in the perspective of a prophet sort of impersonating or uh, really taking on um, the sins of the nation onto himself and talking about um, how uh, bad he feels for his own nation and how far they've gone off the rails. And this week we get to see kind of God's response to the nation of Israel. Um, this is sort of like, I would say, um, as we're nearing kind of the end of this entire book, this is sort of like the last few chapters are kind of more broad and focused on just like the entire history of God and Israel and their kind of um, bumpy history with one another and how, um, 
yeah, uh, God feels about it. Kind of his last word, so to speak, on everything that's been happening with Israel. And we get to see kind of in this judgment section, we get to see kind of a dividing of two people groups. There's the people that um, are uh, basically like going their own way and worshiping um, on all these different like sacred places and mountains and things, eating even the flesh of pigs, which Mm -hmm. was a very uh, negative thing for their culture and their time. There's a lot of laws in the Torah that talk about not doing that. Um, And basically they are kind of doing all the things that they're not supposed to be doing. And so God is going to heap up judgment on them, um, pay it back in their laps um, is the kind of phrase that uh, stuck out to me the most in this. Um, And basically like, yeah, they're not going to survive. And then there's this other uh, group of Israelites that are going to be called his servants. Uh, Remember this has been a theme all the way from back in chapter 40, all the way through 66 is Israel when it's doing what God um, commanded them to do is considered God's servant. And this kind of goes back all the way to the idea that um, God gave to Abraham, that he's not just supposed to be a people group of peoples that like just receives God and they just exist in this happy kumbaya. Like they're supposed to be servants of his glory, sharing that light to the rest of the nations. And so it's kind of picking up on that theme again, um, that's been going throughout the entirety of uh, really Isaiah up into this point is that Israel is meant to be um, God's servant. And so the good, the good people that survive all of this punishment and judgment, um, they're going to be God's servants and they're going to enjoy life. They're going to have um, good fortune and they're going to have um, uh, things where everything's super easy for them now. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the overarching like section of this whole judgment um, passage is just really showing the a tale of two different um, choices and where the peoples kind of end up as a result of this. So um, there's a lot of callbacks too, I think, um, even to um, Deuteronomy in this chapter. Um, for those of you that haven't read Deuteronomy, there's a section at the very end of the book um, that basically lists out um, what all is going to happen to the people of Israel if they follow through with um, mm. his covenant that he's given them and what all is going to happen to them if they don't follow through with his covenant. There's like the blessing and the cursing that comes like towards the end of Deuteronomy. Isn't yes, it? yes, yeah. yes. It's a, it's a whole section that's basically the blessing and curses. And you'll notice that blessing and curses actually pop up quite a bit in this chapter. And I mm-hmm. do think that this is kind of hearkening back to um, Deuteronomy sort of as a reminder to like, uh, nothing is new in this whole situation that's going on. Like you can go back and read Deuteronomy and you can kind of read that exactly what happened ended up happening um, uh, in the curses uh, section. I will point out that in Deuteronomy, um, Moses goes so far in that whole curse section to say, um, I know you're actually not going to follow right, God. I remember and, that. <laughs> and so like he kind of prophetically like sees into the future and is like, Y'all are actually going to choose one of these two, and I know which one it's going to be. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's very much hearkening to that. Even like the idea of a cluster of grapes in verse eight um, is hearkening to uh, the moment where um, the twelve spies go into the land of Canaan and they find a cluster mm-hmm. of grapes and bring it back. Um, and it's what sparks the whole rebellion that ends up with the whole mm-hmm. people group dying out in the wilderness um, because they decide to mutiny against. Uh, Moses and Joshua and yeah um yeah. I even think the first verse kind of reminds me of Deuteronomy because I was looking up to see if this was in Deuteronomy that I was thinking of and it was I think it was Deuteronomy 7 and 7 where 
Uh, Moses is telling the people, well, God did not choose you because you were the greatest in number, but because he loved you and wanted to put his affection on you. So it was like the idea that you see God reaching out to these people, even though they're not reaching out to him. And it's kind of like the same thing that God is choosing people. Like he, he was choosing them, even though they were not chasing after him. Yeah. Yeah. No, like the, (laughs) yeah. Deuteronomy is very explicit that like, um, they aren't chosen because they're good people. Yeah, <laughs> very much so. <laughs> they're chosen because uh, God wanted to work with a people that was pretty bad um, and show how powerful he is. And that's a big theme of Deuteronomy as well. Yeah, And um, I think that's kind of like how God does it now. I don't, I don't think that most of us would consider ourselves like good, like essentially on our own. I think that we can all admit that there are some bad things about us. But then really? God says, I, I, I think I'm pretty good, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, just bad character. Maybe like a few bad character traits. Like nothing that makes you like a terrible person per se, but just something that doesn't make I'm, you all the way I'm good. Joking. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I just like the idea that God is not afraid to work with some work with people who are difficult. Like I really like that about God that I think it's a really easy thing to work with people who just like, oh, they just do what they're told to do and they just they just, you know, they're one these wonderful perfect people and God's like, no, I'm perfectly fine working with people who are not wonderful and perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like uh, one of the things not to I mean, this is going to turn into a Deuteronomy episode, I can already tell, but like uh one of the powerful things about Deuteronomy is um while that's there and he definitely makes it clear that like the people are not great and he's doing it for um, showing off his glory. There's also kind of a a thread of the fact that he says a lot of times I did love Abraham, Mm -hmm. Isaac and Jacob. Like they were, they were people that had faith in me and um, I loved them because they had faith in me. And uh, we see that in Hebrews 11. Um, the writer in 11, Hebrews 11, kind of remembers all the different um, past people that all followed after God, and he shows how they all had faith in different stories throughout the entirety of the Old Testament. And uh, it's just really, uh, it's important to bring up that it's not just that um, uh, God works through horrible people because mm-hmm. he wants to show his glory, and that's the only reason. There is a sense in which Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob I think you can get here from Hebrews 11 did have genuine faith Mm -hmm. and that faith is what God responded to. Um, and God loved them for the faith that they had. It wasn't a crazy amount of faith and it wasn't Mm -hmm. the faith that we see Jesus Mm -hmm. demonstrating, but it was faith, you know? And I, and I do want to bring that up just as like a caveat, I guess. Yeah. And I do like that aspect of it too. Like, um, that God is sort of being faithful to these people because of the faithfulness of their, forefathers like yes. he um is blessing them because um their forefathers probably did some things that the other people are not doing here in these right, chapters right, and right, so yeah. and i think that's a really good inspiration like when i think about the things like somebody else could be blessed because of my own faithfulness and i'm not just being faithful for my own sake but i'm doing it for the sake of somebody else who could benefit from it but. yeah i think about that sometimes with um family and like uh the idea that like uh if I ever had kids like me following after God and having faith in God might be good for them. Yeah. I think about that too. Yeah. Just like how, like if, if you're trusting in God and like, um, you have a good relationship with God and a good relationship with other people around you, as I think are the greatest commandment and the second greatest commandment that Jesus says, if you do those well, like I, I do think that like ultimately, God favors you and that favor Mm -hmm. sort of 
makes its way down the generations even if your children don't end up being as as mm-hmm. uh, maybe as <laughs> as good as like or or as faith-filled as you were you know at least the, that's that's something i think about sometimes i don't know why you know, like i said no i, I do that kids, i think but... that too and I, I don't have children yet but it's just something that i think it's good to be mindful about that the things that I am faithful in that could extend to a child that I may have in the future and God could show them favor because of that. I mean, that's a really great thing. You see that do it here. You see God do that with David and his sons as well. I mean, it's it's a really great concept to remember as like a parent or someone who um, has like, is sort of like over someone else who has the ability to create benefit for someone else. So Yeah, yeah. I like this idea of like when people are really resting in God in faith, they sort of like, begin to like emit life and Mm -hmm. favor outside like they they're kind of like a well that like bubbles up that kind of thing and like uh the idea i've had recently is that like they kind of walk around and like sort of like give life to Mm -hmm. people and i think that carries on generation after generation and it's just sort of like it's sort of like actually how we see jesus sort Mm -hmm. of being in the new testament where he just sort of walks around and starts touching people and Mm. in that case like they're literally healed but like you know i think in some ways we kind of carry that on so to speak um in the way that we do things as well um just kind of doesn't it's not as uh theatrical or uh, (laughs) dramatic but uh it definitely i think still happens you just have to pay attention to it all right um but yeah, anyway, um, I will say that for uh, a good portion of this, um, yeah, it's mainly judgment for them not following through with all of their different things um, that they were supposed to be doing. Um, go read Deuteronomy. I would highly suggest this. I did bring up um, in verse 10, um, it mentions Sharon in the Valley of Acor. Um, this I looked up on a map. Um, Sharon is kind of up in the northern left-hand portion of the land of Israel. Um, it's on the uh, western side of uh, Israel, uh, on the western side of the Jordan River, I should say. Um, and it's up in the north where Zebulun and Naphtali and uh, Issachar kind of are located. And then the Valley of Acor is down further south, close to the Dead Sea, um, on that same west side. So I think this is basically saying from north to south on the west-hand side, um, they're going to be herds that are grazing, which is kind of a cool image. And I just wanted to point that out for those of you that uh, uh, don't know what Sharon and Valley of Acor were, which I definitely didn't before I looked it up. So um, there's that. And then, interestingly, we get the dimension of two different um, deities in this chapter. Mm. Um, we have um, fortune and destiny is what our translation goes with. Um, for their names, but um, their actual names in their context would have been um, God, uh, which is kind of weird to say God in English because that is itself a, a, a title that we give to deities. But um, yeah, it would have been God um, spelled G-A-D, and then it would have been um, uh, many. Um, which is the God of fate. So the God of fortune and then the God of fate or destiny. Um, and I like how like, uh, basically, like the point of bringing up these two de- uh, deities is that they're looking to um, sort of dice rolling and mm-hmm. um, destiny, um, like fortune and fate, to kind of decide how things will pan out instead of looking to God to figure out. And so, what he mm-hmm. does in this is really funny. He's yeah. like, I'll. I'll, I'll go ahead and give and destine you for the sword and all of you will fall in slaughter. It's like, okay, the very thing that you're uh, relying on, I will make the thing that is going to um, 
basically enslave you to the sword. Um, and that's a that's a theme that comes up a lot in God's judgment is that the very thing that people are relying on becomes their downfall. Mm. Um, and God uses that a lot. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to bring those up as uh interesting uh, remarks some people think that this these are babylonian deities other people think that they're more like um uh uh, uh what's the word uh Ar- arabian i think is the yeah arabian i think is the way you say that um arabic um but yeah the either way um there's a big a lot of debate about who they actually were in their culture and context but I are bring... you saying that they were arabian gods yeah arabian okay. gods okay. yeah um in that kind of culture and time period um but yeah um, we have what's interesting is really it's just judgment for all of them in verses one through 12. And then from 13 through 16, this is where we kind of get into that, um, back and forth of the servants being the, being the people that are going to survive and the, um, others that are doing all this nasty stuff up above are going to go hungry basically and mm-hmm. die. Um, and so sort of a dividing, I think Jesus might be pulling on this a little bit with his wheat and the tares, um, parable in the new Testament. That's something that I'd be curious about. Um, then in verse 17, we, oh, get... we didn't talk about the invoke and blessing. I think we were going to, oh, yeah, because yeah. okay, we, we okay. had a conversation about this before the podcast got started. Cause I yes. was curious about that phrasing of invoking a blessing. And we found out some, something interesting about the, the Hebrew phrasing of that. Um, yeah. So basically at the, at the very end, it, ends with um, kind of a promise to the people that are still left over um, that uh, they are going to invoke blessings in the land and will do so by the one true God and they'll take oaths in the land they'll swear by the one true God and their past troubles will be forgotten and hidden from their eyes. It's a really beautiful image of just like what it's going to look like for those left over that have been following God. And uh, Ashley, you asked the question, what does invoking a blessing kind of mean in this context? Yeah. Like what's going on with that? Um, I think a lot of this is kind of related back to like the ideas of Deuteronomy and how like um, there were blessings spoken over all of the people for their following. Um, so I definitely think it's kind of hearkening to that. But I also think it's hearkening to um, the fact that uh, in their culture, um, the firstborn son would get a blessing um that was given to him from uh whatever uh patriarch leader and you can kind of see this through genesis as abraham gives a blessing to isaac isaac gives a blessing to jacob jacob gives a blessing kind of oddly to everyone it's kind of a weird Mm -hmm. thing where it's sort of like uh ends up like being more like uh uh like uh more uh equal um i think kind of maybe to undo some of the um hardships that he caused with the brothers and Joseph and Mm. things like that. He does end up like specially uh, singling out Judah as like a special kind of candidate because uh, uh, Reuben and uh, Simeon and Levi all kind of did some bad things that made them not uh, qualify for the blessing. So it it does end up in some sense going to Judah. Um, But you can kind of trace it in Genesis, how this blessing gets passed on from generation to generation. And I think what's getting kind of conveyed here. That's kind of cool is that, um, if a family is ever going to do that with their next generation, um, God is always going to be in that situation when that blessing happens. And I was telling Ashley, I was like, I think this is the best way to say this for y'all today is sort of like the idea of God always being there at your wedding day. Mm-hmm. When like you get married, like there's this sense in which you're pronouncing oaths to be with one another for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that like when you make that oath, 
um, God is kind of there sort of as a priest of sorts, you know, looking on and um, uniting the two of you in a really special way. And I think that that's kind of what's being um, talked about here is this idea of God kind of being around and um, really making holy any um, blessing that's uh, being offered to one another, any oath that's being taken, um, really just being involved in the people's lives, even in the small, like small ways of giving a blessing to someone else, I think Mm -hmm. is kind of what's going on here. But I also think you can take this as just like, um, there are a lot of prayers of blessing in the book of Psalm. And so I think you can take that as well as like um, whenever we pray a blessing on another person um, as a pastoral leader, this is something that I try and do is like pray a blessing over um, the congregation when we mm-hmm. like leave um, something I am trying to be more regular about at Wayfarers. But um, when I do that, um, I think part of that is that God's kind of in that and with that and um, is um, making that true for all of the people that go out from our space after we finish up a worship service. So I think all of those reasons, that's a long list of reasons, but yeah, I think all of those uh, kind of are playing into that. And hopefully that answers your question, Ashley. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, working kind of through the last portion yeah. fairly quickly. And I feel like this portion, I feel like if the first portion had a lot of Deuteronomy stuff, I feel like this one definitely has a lot of revelation stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of revelation in this. Um, uh, a lot of uh, trees get mentioned in Revelation. There's the tree of life gets brought back up. Um, the new heavens and the new earth is a theme of Revelation in and of itself. Um, uh, we see a lot of um, Jerusalem gets brought back up again as the city where everyone's going to go and live in, which is also in Revelation. Um, interesting in verse 20, it sort of reverts back to um, Genesis a little bit and the idea of old people like living longer than a hundred years and like kind of reverting back to like a thousand years of life maybe. And like, you know, just all the different things um, that uh, are implied. This is definitely poetry though. Cause like uh, what's interesting about this, I was thinking about this as we were reading it is uh, it says the one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. So it kind of implies that like, death is still around in the new heavens and the new earth which uh uh, as a christian like uh that that definitely does not get transferred to revelation in revelation uh uh death is thrown into the lake of fire at the very end of it so Mm -hmm. um there won't be anyone that dies at 100 um in the new heavens and the new earth so um that is definitely something you can point to in this verse at least is like sort of something that they hadn't quite figured out yet um but yeah it's it's definitely really uh cool just to see their hope in this period and um, where it is at this point when they don't even have a concept really of resurrection yet and what that's going to mean. So yeah, I I think it's really powerful to kind of read this whole section. Um, Yeah. For as the days of a tree will be the days of my people is a really powerful image of how humans sort of have this like uh, relationship with trees that kind of spans the entirety of scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked about that before on the podcast. Um, you'll see Isaiah bring up trees a lot and always reference trees as humans and humans as trees. Um, they'll not labor in vain. Their children won't be doomed to misfortune. Uh, I thought it was very uh, kind and dear that in verse 20, it talks about how infants will uh, never live but a few days, um, but infants will always like live. And it's kind of this idea that if you're someone out there that's ever like had the misfortune to go through a miscarriage, like uh, that's a verse for you. I think it's just very yeah. kind and tender. Um, 
I, I especially like the verse that says, before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. Because I feel like I've had moments even like that now mm. where I've been thinking about something in my head, maybe something I was worried about, and then God will intervene in the midst of me having a conversation with myself. Mm-hmm. And he'll just be like, okay, this is what I have to say about this. And I'm like, oh, okay. I wasn't, you know, it was just <laughs> sort of like, God was like, okay, I know you needed to hear this. So this is what I'm going to tell you about this. Uh-huh. And I'm like, that's just, and it's just really comforting to know that God already knows what you're concerned about before you bring it to his attention. And then he's already counseling you before you even bring bring it to him so it's like yeah that's sweet that's really awesome um and then we kind of end with this image of a wolf and a lamb feeding together like animals no longer wanting to hurt one another um the lion will eat straw with the ox um and then i love this last line just because this is kind of like a gotcha kind of line where it's like dust will be the serpent's food kind of hearkening back to genesis 3 about um on your belly shall you crawl and dust shall you eat for all of the things you've tried to harm humans with. Mm. Um, so it's kind of, kind of a final um, point of uh, death to the serpent and uh, there, they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountains says the Lord. So war's gone away and it's really cool just to see like that's the future hope is like all of, uh, all of the things that cause us so much grief in our world today. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you think about it in their context, this is even more severe because, like, war was kind of the name of the game for yeah. them, you know, even more so. Like, I was thinking about this, like, not to belittle the Ukraine-Russia situation, but, like, it really hit everyone hard when we learned what was going on in that. And, like, uh, the reason I think it hit us so hard is because, like, we just haven't really dealt with war in quite a bit. And mm-hmm. um, so, like, that wouldn't have hit quite as hard, I feel like, to this people group because like that's just, it was just yeah. part of life you right. raided people every spring and like you know it's just part of part of how you lived your life was war and so you i i feel like in this context it's even more powerful um because yeah. of that you know yeah and i that's something that i try to think about because i know a lot of people have a lot of what i feel what i believe to be misconceptions about god's attitude towards humanity in the Mm. Old Testament. And it kind of makes me think about how it is hard for us to understand why they go through so many wars because at least in the Western part of the world, like we don't have war come to our neighborhoods. Right. So we don't have like, we don't worry about like troops marching down the street and shooting us or bombing us or things like that. But other people in other countries do have to worry about that. And so it's like this idea that it was being brought to their doorstep. So they didn't really have a choice in a lot of cases. And there were several moments, I think in the, in the book of numbers mm. where they were trying to have peace with other nations, but those nations refused to have peace with them and they had no choice but to go to war. And so mm. it's just sort of like, if someone comes to your doorstep with swords and spears and arrows and they're like, and you know, if you don't fight then they're going to take your women and your children, they're right. going to get, they're going to get killed. They're going to get raped. They're going to be used as slaves. It's like, well, what, what else are you going to do? You have to fight, you know? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, exactly. and so it's just kind of like, I, I try to remind myself of that concept that there were a lot of cultural things that were going on that we don't have to face on a daily basis so it's just harder for us to understand so yeah it really is it really is that's definitely a helpful way to sometimes get through some of the more violent texts in the old testament i i can definitely say but all right so that's this chapter um i'm excited guys this is a history in the making for us here because uh we have one chapter left and then we're done with isaiah I know. so uh i feel like yeah ashley i i haven't talked to you about this but it's it'll be fun to talk to you about it on the podcast i feel like we should do an episode where we just kind of like look back over the 66 episodes and just kind of do like a concluding uh, yeah, that sounds fun. Like fun, fun, just episode of just like talking about our experience on it and what what has I'd love to like just like uh, talk about some of the things that have even 
walking through it at least through this whole year and a half that we've done it like uh, what has changed in my thinking on anything mm, or yeah. like you know just like what what stood out to me this time reading through the whole book and like you know what what, what am I going to take away from this and stuff so I'd love to uh, have you on and do an do an episode after after chapter sixty six and just do that. So we'll probably yeah. do that, guys. We'll do a wrap up episode. We'll call it that. Yeah, sounds up. like a plan. All right. Well, thank you guys for tuning in, and we'll be back in your feed again next week for the final chapter in the book of Isaiah. All right. Bye.